Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Dr. Jerome is a licensed clinical psychologist who specializes in treating OCD and related anxiety disorders such as panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, PTSD, and specific phobias. In his clinical work, Dr. Jerome employs the most effective evidence-based therapeutic interventions, including exposure and response prevention, cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, metacognitive therapy, and mindfulness practices. Dr. Jerome is a member of the International OCD Foundation and is a graduate of their Behavioral Therapy Training Institute. Hi there, it's Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. Today, our guest consultation is with Dr. Al Jerome. Dr. Jerome is a licensed psychologist who specializes in treating OCD and related disorders. His work with adolescents, adults, and children employs the latest evidence-based therapeutic interventions, including cognitive behavioral therapy, ACT, and metacognitive therapy. Dr. Jerome is a member of the International OCD Foundation and has completed their training called the Behavior Behavior Therapy and Training Institute. Prior to becoming a full-time therapist and focusing on OCD and anxiety disorders, Dr. Jerome was the director of research for a startup technology company that developed and marketed self-help behavior change programs for tobacco cessation, dietary change, and exercise adherence. Dr. Jerome, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Maggie. Uh, It's my pleasure. Okay, great. So I guess just to get started, can you tell me what kind of impressions you had while you were um, listening to the episode that I had with Stephanie? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I want to say that I thought Stephanie has done a great job, and I guess then you've done a great job, because it's, it's clear to me that she's learned a lot and she's doing quite well with her OCD, and it, it's never perfect, but she had a lot of good, a lot of good thoughts, and, and, and the way she framed her OCD, and the way she was, you know, in, in particular, I think, dealing with uncertainty, and being able to work with that, I thought was, was very impressive, so she's, she's done a really good job. Thank you. I feel that same way towards her. Yeah. So, but I did think it was my task to at least come up with some things, so I, I listened to the, you know, obviously listened to both of the um, sessions a couple of times. And, and one of the things that came to mind and one of the things I, I would want to address would be, you know, with her pedophile intrusive thoughts, what, what is the core fear? And this is something that I always go to when I'm working with somebody, what are they really afraid of? And there's a couple of different levels and a couple of different types of core fears that you're going to see. One and it's common and it's, and it's very, you know, can be overwhelming is I'm afraid I'm going to act. I'm going to do something I shouldn't be doing. I'm going to molest a child or act in some way that's untoward. And that, that's a scary thing. And it can lead to a lot of anxiety and panic. And it can also lead to a thing where I feel like I need to get the thought out of my mind. 
because um, if I have the thought that I'm going to act or an image, it can seem as if the thought itself can pull me toward action. And if I, if I think that the thought can pull me toward action, I need to get it out of my mind. So I'm, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time and energy trying to hide from the thought, push the thought away. So that's the first level. The second level would be what I would call the moral level. And what kind of a person would have these terrible thoughts that I have? Why do I have them? What does it mean about me? And in the third level, I would say, um, and, and sometimes this comes developmentally after a person's been in therapy for a while, but not necessarily, but I'm not really that frightened anymore. Maybe I'm not that focused on the moral level, but I, I, I'm bothered by the fact that I have these thoughts. Why do I have the thoughts? What's wrong with me? Why can't I control my thoughts? What's wrong with my mind? Sometimes you hear people say, I'm afraid I'm crazy. Uh, you know, maybe I'm schizophrenic. Yeah, I know I have OCD, but I think it's more than that. How do I know for sure there's not something more wrong with me? And of course, these levels can sort of mix and match, and they're not necessarily, you know, specific and separated. But so I would, I would be interested in trying to figure that out. Like what's going on with her and where is she with that? Okay. And then, yeah, so then, yeah. The, yeah. Actually, Did you want to, to ask a question about that? Um, do you have a sense of why people think they should be able to control their thoughts? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, everyone has these sort of mental models about, you know, what should I be able to do? You know, and, and this is a discussion that sometimes we have outside of the context of OCD, you know, how do minds work? So everyone has their own sort of model of how minds work. And, I'm always surprised that people think that they should be able to sort of control their thoughts as if, you know, as if, you know, as an example, as I'm talking to you, I'm not going in here and selecting a thought to throw out there that just kind of flow. So, of course, when you're working on something specifically, you have the ability to kind of direct your thoughts. But the stuff that just pops up, I like to say it bubbles up out of the cauldron, you don't have any control over it. It just pops up. And there it is. And I think most people are aware of that. And it's fine, but when the thought comes with a lot of emotional impact, then it, then it, it's scary to them, and it feels like it's out of control. If you just have a random thought that pops up about an event that occurred yesterday or something you're going to do tomorrow, you don't view that as being odd, even though it's just popped up into your head. That's a really interesting way to think about how to challenge the idea that we should be able to control our thoughts, that people are not bothered by thoughts that they don't plan that don't arrive with a spike of anxiety. Right. But the spike, of course, then makes, you know, draws your attention and like, why did I have that particular thought? Yeah. And then we get into the spiral of OCD. Yeah. Okay. So I can definitely go over the core fear with Stephanie. I think that's a great next step for us. My sense is that she, it's her answer is probably what type of person has a thought like this? Like it may, what does it mean about me that I think these things? Um, so maybe we could come back to that or do, do you have thoughts about that? I mean, it, 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 quite possibly. And I think that, you know, the place that I would go with that is the place that I always really go, which is you don't really know. And I'm, all you really know is that you're having the thought. You know, you're, at the surface level, you can only kind of be descriptive. I like to say, you know, at the, at the top level is the description of the behavior or the thought or the action. And then anything else below that is kind of down the rabbit hole. Why did I have it? What does it mean? The answer to all those questions is, I don't really know. Okay. And I think, and I heard that it, it, with Stephanie, that she's worked on some of that. So I would apply that here too with a moral issue, why do I have it? And sometimes there's a sort of secret self kind of concept that maybe deep down inside I'm this awful person and, and it's gonna come forth at some point. 
And the answer to that, just like all the others, is, well, maybe. But right now, here's what I'm doing. And this is where then I would, you know, come back to the present moment of I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm living with my husband and daughter, and I'm not doing those things. And, okay, come back to where we are. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. I completely agree with that. Can you say more about what you would do with somebody that just really, it really can't stop thinking about whether or not they're a terrible person and maybe thinks that it's even maybe irresponsible to have a thought like that and not figure it out? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a tricky one because it gets you into, you know, what is a person supposed to do and what are kind of some of the moral sense about what they have. And I, I guess I would go to, in some ways, like, first of all, you can't figure it out. And that's one of the things that I always try to focus on with OCD that, you know, I would go to her experience and say, we've been working on this for a really long time and trying to figure it out. Does that work for you? And this is, you know, and it doesn't clearly, or she wouldn't be trying to do it. So, you know, to me, and I, I sometimes, you know, when I'm in session with people, I get my playing cards out and use them to represent thoughts. And I just kind of shuffle them round and round. And, you know, working on something like this, you know, am I a good person? What does it mean? Why do I have these thoughts? Um, you can spend five minutes, five days, five years on that, and there's, there's not an answer to it. And, and so recognizing that it's fruitless just because you can ask the question and the question sort of makes sense with words doesn't mean that there's really an answer to it or anything you can do with it. And I think that understanding that there's no place to go, I'm never going to really get an answer helps people to step away from that ruminating. Yeah. And I think the other thing in terms of conscientious models that some people don't notice because they have so much uncertainty about it is that other people don't feel uncertain about it. It's not that they know that they're not a terrible person or the reverse. They don't, not, no one else knows that they're a good person. They just don't feel uncertainty about right, not right. being a good person. Yeah. And, that, and that's a good point. In any time you're drilling down on a concept, you're going to get stuck. And I talk about this all the time, you know, so what does it mean to be a good person? Well, everybody kind of knows, but if you start to really drill down on it, what does it mean? you get lost and 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 when you start to keep score and this is where typically people go with ocd and well i did this awful thing yeah but i do this and i'm good because of this and i'm bad because of that and you try to keep score you just go round and round and round like that and there's really no resolution to it so i think understanding that there's not a resolution is really helpful yes i totally agree um so I feel like it's worth it to talk about a differential diagnosis. So what it, or I am a bad person is also a common thought in depression. So can we talk a little bit about the difference between what if I'm a bad person or a terrible person in the context of OCD and I am a bad person in the context of depression? How can you yeah, yeah, and certainly you can get overlap for sure and, and have a lot of depressive symptoms that accompany the OCD. But I think I would say, I would look at, how um, frequent and, and how generalized the thought of I'm a bad person is. And if that thought is everywhere and it comes up in multiple contexts and, you know, and I'm a bad husband or, or a bad wife and a bad mother and I'm not a good teacher and I don't like myself and it's just is generalized across a variety of contexts, then I'd start to think more about depression. If it's specific to, well, I had these thoughts or I was unable to do these things, and that's triggering it, then I think of it more in terms of the OCD process. 
Okay. Yes. And, and what if, so we're kind of talking about people that are distressed by the possibility that they're a terrible person, which is everyone, but also I find that some people um, find their over conscientiousness or their responsibility kind of egocentric. So they, they can't imagine being egocentric, meaning it feels reasonable to them and they can't imagine being any other way. Um, I, it seems like Stephanie might have some of that going on. Can you just talk a little bit about that concept? Yeah, no, egocentric is a term that I would use. And, I, and, and definitely, I would say it, it can be sort of part of a person's inherent personality style in a lot of ways. And, and I would look at it, and I know you did this because I heard that in some, in some of the dialogue, that it's a, it's a good thing to have. It's a good thing to be conscientious. But if, it's over, if it goes overboard, then it's going to get in your way. And I would look at is the level at which you practice it workable in your life and try to take a real practical look at it, kind of the act way of thinking about it. Is this workable? Does it work? And, 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 and have her, you know, be aware. And I'm sure she is of places where it just goes overboard. And even though it's sort of, as she's going overboard, I think it's, it, it feels good to her because it's kind of satisfying in the sense that I'm doing the thing that I feel comfortable with, but yet, she's going to have to acknowledge and have to understand that pulling back is going to take effort because it does sort of feel, it's sort of the opposite of some of the other stuff that she struggles with, where she's trying to get rid of certain things. Now she's trying to pull back on it. And that's the meaning of the ego, you know, centricity that she, that she referred to for sure, that it seems like it's part of me, but recognizing that it's, I'm practicing it to excess and where it gets in the way and I need to pull back, I think is, is you know, it's something that, that, that you work on. I think you guys have talked about that. Yeah. Just from your perspective though, um, what are some cues that somebody's practicing conscientiousness to an excess? Well, I mean, the kinds of things that, you know, she talked about to some extent, like I'm stuck. It's getting in the way of me doing the things that I really want to do, you know, for, and, and she talked about this and I've had multiple clients talk about this. I sit down to do some work and I can't get anything done because the dishes aren't done or I need to vacuum the floor. So I have to do two hours of prep time before I can do the thing that I was going to do. It took 15 minutes. So essentially she's stuck because her, her need to, uh, to engage in all these actions and make everything just the way she wants it. And it's kind of a form, we talked about that too, if not just right, um, get in her way. So if she's unproductive, it's, it's an impediment to, to her, you know, valued behavior, I think I would say, valued action. Yeah, and I think in addition to it being not just right, meaning that there's no real consequence that um, Stephanie or other people are afraid of, they just uh, don't like the feeling of something not feeling just right. Uh, the other way that I framed it up is as perfectionism and as emotional perfectionism in particular. So emotional perfectionism is I'm supposed to think and feel a certain way. And so I think that's where it can tie back to her mm-hmm. unwanted intrusive thoughts that those it's like um, inconsistent with who she thinks she should be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and but I, I do think there can be consequences in there though, Maggie too. And I, I was listening to her and, you know, if she doesn't do everything and she sits with it, and this is one of the you know exposures, which I think is a good one. Just don't do everything. Sit with some of that. You kind of, you guys kind of stopped it. I, I think, I'll feel anxious is one of the things that she said, which undoubtedly, and I didn't hear where you guys went further with it, which you may have, but um, okay. And if you feel anxious, then what? 
And I was anticipating and, and, and imagining that she would say something that along the lines of, well, I won't be present for my daughter emotionally, for my, maybe for my husband, but probably if, I think for my daughter. And if I'm not, then that's not, you know, that's not right. A mother should be there and a mother should always be. And I think you probably will tap into a whole bunch of responsibility stuff about what it's like to be a mother and what a mother is supposed to do. And yeah, so that's part of the fear, I think, of if I allow myself to be anxious, what's going to happen? Are there some consequences? Then they may not be dire consequences, but I think she would be uncomfortable with that. Yes, thank you. We can definitely follow up in that direction. Can you say more about exposures and planned exposures versus incidental exposures? I know um, I, we talked to some extent. I talked to some extent with Stephanie about that, but I'm just wondering your perspective on exposures. Uh, well, well, let's go back. And, and so let, let's double back and talk about the intrusive thoughts for a moment, because that was a place where we, t- we did talk about that. Um, uh, her strategy, her full stop strategy, which I think is a really good thing to be able to do. And as I understand that, she just kind of is doing some version of, you know, she's trying to stop herself from ruminating. So she's stopping and then she's kind of going out and, and, and focusing on other things and sensory things, which I think is a, is a really good thing. Um, and she does that when she's doing um, sort of incidental exposure. She's in the classroom. She's with her family. Which, and I think that's a really good strategy there. I would also like to see, though, you know, a little bit more intensity generated with some planned exposures. And planned exposures being, okay, now I'm going to intentionally have the thoughts, um, images, whatever it is. I'm not exactly sure where she is with that. Images of doing something inappropriate with a child. And I'm going to sort of do the sort of deepening of I'm going to take the thought and I'm going to get the image in my mind and I'm going to kind of imagine myself actually acting on some of this and staying with it a little bit because I got the sense that sometimes what the, the, um, the full stop was an avoidance of the images and thoughts too, of the intrusive thought. So I can, I get that, but I think both for people that struggle with this content area and just the public in general, why, why would we as a CBT therapist instruct people to do that? Can you explain the thinking? There? Yeah, yeah, no, I will. Because you, I don't want you to be afraid of your thoughts and you're not in control of your thoughts. And if you were in control of your thoughts, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be seeing you. You wouldn't be coming to see me. So I want the worst thought that your mind can conjure up to be something that you can manage. And so you have to go to that to as far as your OCD will go. And I, I say this to people all the time, you have to be willing to go wherever your OCD will take you. It could give you the most horrific, heinous, just you know, immoral kind of a vision or thought. And you have to be willing to go there. You don't have to like it, but you have to be willing to look at it and Okay. And ideally, and this is a really hard place to get, but some people get there and then say, well, what, what else do you have? Anything better than that? And if you can get there or get close to there, then you've, you're, you're kind of free, you know, because I, I, you know, sometimes people do a pretty good job. And, and that, look, I know this work is extremely difficult. And, and the more awful the thought, the more difficult the work. But if you can sort of manage this level of thought, but not that one, then you're always going to be stuck. You know, because what if your OCD throws this other thought at you? What if this other image pops up? Then what? Then what are you going to do? Well, then I, I, I'm going to panic. 
So we go to the ends of the earth and we, we exaggerate, you know. It's in the same way I think about if someone has panic attacks. If they can have a really bad panic attack in a difficult situation, they can manage their way through it. In a sense, then, they're free. Now, they're still going to get panic attacks, but they don't have the same level of fear. They know they can cope. So I want to teach her to cope with the most awful stuff possible. That's, I find and that that's hard. why I do this sort of deepening with it. So have the image, have the thought. And, 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 and the other piece of it, and I don't even know if I said this already. I can't remember exactly what I've said so far. Um, when you have the fear that you might act on the thought, I want you to be putting yourself in situations where you could potentially act on it and having the thought that you will act on it. Because I want you to, and I'm going to use this thing to say prove, but I'm prove with a small P because you can't prove anything. But you can become more comfortable that you're unlikely to act on the thought and act on the image. If you can be in the situation repeatedly, have the thought, have the image, and then not act on it, Initially, that's a very terrifying thing for a lot of people, which I understand completely. But if they do that a few times and they don't act, which they don't, they start to think, okay, I'm probably not going to do that. And that, that's good enough. And that usually can get people a long way. Yeah. And that's yeah. actually kind of, you can usually knock that out fairly quickly, even though it's intense and scary work. Great. I think I often call that experiential confidence. And okay, yeah, that's a good term. Yeah. Yeah. And that it's often that we do that kind of naturally with some of the other anxiety disorders. So with social yeah. anxiety, you get experiential practice if you put yourself in the socially anxiety provoking situation. Right. Same with panics um, can be with generalized anxiety too. So I think making the leap to like, of course, we would do that same, we'd use that same method with OCD, even if the thoughts are really scary and right. um, they seem taboo to you. Right. And this is where we, we pull back. And, and sometimes we, I think therapists have a tendency to pull back. And I understand that it just seems so awful. Why would we do that? But we do that because of the things that, you know, that we talked about, which is you, you can't control your thoughts. And you've got to be able to, when they show up, manage them. So we go to the nth degree. Yes. And the other thing I do want to say in terms of compassion is that it's just not fair. Um, so there's nothing about having OCD that people are asking for or, you know, it's not their fault that they have it. And other people really don't have to do the same type of work. But when you're born with these biological vulnerabilities, that when you have thoughts like this, they arrive with a spike of anxiety and then you have the urge to do something to make it go away. And you spend weeks or months or years resisting because you don't understand what's happening. You have to go through a process like this to get through it. Do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, I mean, I think what you said is, is perfect, Maggie. I, I agree 100%. Yeah. Okay. So with that in mind, in terms of hope and courage, um, can we end on what you're proud of when you see your clients making progress? Well, I mean, just to sort of riff off of what you said, I mean, I'm proud of the fact that they're able to do any of this work. I mean, it's, it's overwhelming and scary and, 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 and it's not fair. And, 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 I'm proud of the fact that they're willing to step forward and to put themselves in a situation where they're going to be frightened and they're striving to improve their lives and to make progress and knowing how difficult the work is. I'm just proud that any of them are able and willing to do it. And, and it's the best feeling in the world. And I know you know this when you see someone, you know, actually goes through the process and comes out the other side and, and gets a chunk of their life back. It's, it's just the best feeling. I completely agree. So we can end on that. Thank you so much, Dr. Al Jerome. Maggie, thank you very much.
Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategies shared here. Thank you.